man was once making the following confession or observation about his life. In middle school, I thought it would be cool to play a musical instrument, and I picked the clarinet. My wise parents rented one rather than buying it, and uh, I started practicing in the garage, of course, because it sounded pretty screechy. After a week or two of doing scales, I got bored and picked my way through a couple of easy songs, but after a few more weeks, I couldn't go further because I hadn't laid a foundation with scales and similar exercises, so I quit in frustration. It's tempting to uh, skip over the fundamentals of anything, of any practice, of any skill, of any, of any giftedness, uh, especially when it comes to music or other skills that require practice to get good at it. Uh, it's tempting to skip over the basics because of laziness or because of impatience or uh, because of arrogance, because we feel that we can move on to other things and and uh, not be careful to focus on the basis, basics and understand them well. Uh, often trainers and coaches in sports uh, train their students to get better by helping them remind them and take them back to the basics. Uh, remind, reminding ourselves of the basics is an important part of, of growing in any area of life, especially in the area of spiritual walking with the Lord. Well, the people of God in the book of 1 Samuel had to be brought, brought back to the fundamental basics. And that fundamental basic for the people of God was the Word of God. I encourage you to open God's Word this morning as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Samuel uh, by opening to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 1a. God's Word this morning comes from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the, word, to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were no frequent vision. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, 
Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me, asking God to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for revealing your word to us. We thank you that you have given us the entirety of your revelation in the scriptures and through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we hear your word, would you give us hearts and ears to hear? so that we may profit, so that we may benefit from what you have revealed to us. In the name of Christ, we pray for his glory and honor through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The theme this morning is the word of the Lord becomes central again. If you were with us last week, we saw in chapter 2 how the focus last week was on exposing the wickedness of Eli's sons. And that took place in contrast with seeing Samuel grow and minister in the temple of the Lord. In chapter 3, the focus changes and zooms on Samuel. uh, Because in this chapter, we see God's intervention to call Samuel to be a spokesman for God, to be a prophet of God. In this chapter, we see that God begins to reveal himself not just once, as it happened in, in this chapter, But we also see that God is starting to give His Word again to His people on a regular basis through the prophetic ministry of Samuel. And the calling of Samuel in this chapter is the beginning of a new era in the history of God's people. In this chapter, God establishes Samuel as a prophet, as the one through whom God will reveal Himself to His people on a regular basis. And through the calling of Samuel, the word of God 
is beginning to take front stage again in the life of the people of God. And that's why the theme of this morning's message is the word of the Lord becomes central again. And this, uh, the unfolding of the story uh, can be divided in, in four parts. If you like taking notes here, the four parts as we see this chapter unfold. The first point we'll see will be the famine of the Word of God. The famine of the Word of God. We'll see that in verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord calls Samuel. We see that in verses 5 through 10. Then the Lord reveals His judgments. We'll see that in verses 11 through 18. And finally, we'll see the Word of the Lord spreading in verses 19 through chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at, at each of these points as a story of, of the Word of the Lord becoming central again unfolds for us. The famine of the Word of God. Notice how chapter 3 begins describing the setup of the story. Verse 1, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now this is a sad description of what was going on at the time that the book of First Samuel begins to unfold. Notice the phrase, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. This could simply mean that, the, that God stopped revealing himself. God stopped revealing his plans to his people. But something else is going on when we recognize what else is happening both in, the, in, the, in this book, in the book of First Samuel, and how God relates to His people even throughout the Old Testament. Uh, for example, in the book of Amos, the prophet speaks of God's judgment upon His people being manifested not only through physical tragedies, but also through the famine of the Word of God. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, the prophet says the following, and, and listen to the phrase, <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. <clears throat> now you're thinking it's a famine of, of bread. But the prophet hears from the Lord and clarifies, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord but they shall not find it. In the Old Testament, you see God's judgment uh, can be manifested through a famine of the Word of God. Uh, the lack of hearing the Word of God shows up at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, particularly after King Saul, after he took the path of disobedience to God, part of the judgment of God against him is that Saul could no longer hear the word of the Lord. In other words, God's silence on Saul was now part of God's judgment against him. Well, a similar situation of God's distance seems to be the case at the beginning of this book. Because God has chosen not to speak to his people for a while. It was not a good sign. It was a sign of God's judgment. To say that the word of the Lord was rare is an indication of the spiritual broken state. 
of God's people. And because the people of Israel chose to disobey the Lord and rebel against Him, as we have seen in the entire book of Judges, the Lord kept away and kept away giving more of His revelation. Sadly, due to, due to their disobedience, the word of the Lord was no longer uh, central in their life. And therefore, the visions of the Lord, God speaking and addressing His word, was also rare. Now today, we, we don't lack in having physical access to the word of God. The entire counsel of God has been revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures, in the Bible. Today, the famine for the word of God may not be experienced in, in lack of Bibles or even access to having churches or pastors who teach the Word of God. But today, the famine for the Word of God can be experienced in that the Word of God is no longer central to the life of God's people. In the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God, in its fullness, sadly, that is not a common experience anymore. Uh, it's not uncommon to hear people from other cities or other people who are coming to visit Austin and just looking for churches who are faithfully preaching the Word of God and looking, looking hard for them. They're not found at any corner. Just walking into any church, sadly, is no longer a guarantee that the Word of God is being preached faithfully. And Walking even in a Baptist church is no longer a guarantee that you're finding a place where the Word of God is being brought, taught faithfully and fully. It's sad to hear that many churches are on a trend to keep the public teaching the Word of God shorter and shorter. It's as if churches today are happy to give finger food portions of the Word of God to the people of God. But what's also sad is that the crowds are happy to live off of finger food portions and actually demand it. It's such preaching that often attracts the crowds. The commitment to expositional preaching or the commitment to make the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God central to the life of the church is sadly becoming a minority experience in America today. In Samuel's times, people got used to not hearing from the Lord. They got used to doing their own thing. They got used to even going to Shiloh to worship the Lord and not really hear from the Lord. And they may have gone in that direction because we have seen of the corrupt priesthood that was going on at Shiloh under the oversight of, of Eli's family. In, Eli, in Samuel's setting, we also find out that the lamp of God had not yet gone out in verse 3. Now the lamp of God was a physical lamp that God had given instruction to the people of God to make sure that it was lit uh, through the night that, and that it was continued to be lit through the night. And that God commanded uh, the, the Levites and his people to make sure that the lamp of God is being tended to. We see instructions of that in Leviticus 24 and other parts of the Old Testament. Now, to say that the lamp of God had not yet gone out was an indication that it was not morning yet. The events related to Samuel's calling took place before the dawn of the morning. But it's also possible that this phrase here, the, 
the lamp of God had not gone out yet also has some spiritual symbolic significance. Uh, the times in which God's people were living were dark times. The corruption of Eli's sons and the worship that they conducted at Shiloh was an indication of the darkness in which the people of the Lord were living. And yet, to say that the light of God had not gone out yet um, was a glimmer of hope. There's a small flickering light still light, lighting up in the darkness of the people of God. And, and coincidentally, or not, the one who was tending to, the, to keeping up the light of the lamp of God was little boy Samuel. And it would be through the ministry of Samuel that God would actually begin to bring light again to his people. Despite the deep corruption of the priesthood, God was not done. God may have appeared distant for a while, but he was not done with his people. God intervened by revealing himself in a fresh and new way. So the second, the second major point in this story of unfolding, the, the centrality of the word of God coming back to the people of God, is that God chose to call Samuel. God called Samuel. Uh, the calling of Samuel described here in slow motion. We see four attempts, four tries, and only by the fourth time, actually, Samuel and God get to communicate. The first three times, both Samuel and Eli did not realize that the one who was waking up Samuel in the middle of the night was not, was not Eli. It was the Lord. We find out in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, this does not mean that Samuel did not know truths about the Lord. Uh, Samuel served the Lord in the temple. Uh, he did not have a personal encounter with the Lord up until that moment. But particularly this phrase, he did not know the Lord, meant in the sense of God speaking to Samuel and reveal himself to him in a, in a very unique way. God had not revealed himself to Samuel for the purpose of giving revelations to the people of God. Now, it's very tempting to put ourselves right now in the, in the shoes of Samuel and sort of try to say, well, uh, we can come to church and not really know the Lord. Um, here, the knowing of the Lord that Samuel is talking about is a specific being knowing the Lord in the sense of being a receiver of God's revelation in a prophetic way. Friends, in this way, we should not try to put ourselves in the shoes of Samuel. The Lord's calling to Samuel was unique. God called Samuel to be a bearer of divine revelation as a prophet of the Lord. That was a unique calling and experience. So we should not seek to have an experience like Samuel in one way. God's calling to Samuel was Unique because Samuel was to become a prophet of the Lord. Today, there are some very bad advices given to Christians in which we are told that we should listen to the voice within and hear God calling us. Friends, if you want God to call you, or if you want to hear the calling of God, read the Bible. Open the Bible and read the Bible. The Bible. 
The Bible is now for us, for the people of God, the whole counsel of God. Samuel was at a place in history where all they had was the revelation given through Moses. Nothing else was given. So Samuel is a very unique point and place in the history of, of the self-revelation of God to his people. But if we want to, to experience hearing God, hearing from God, get this book, open it, read it, meditate on it, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you from it. I will encourage you that consider listening and hearing the voice of God through what He has revealed to us in the Bible. The calling of Samuel culminates in, call, in Samuel's response to the Lord in verse 10. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Now this is a great lesson we can learn from Samuel. A posture of the heart. Um, even if his calling from God was unique to him, his heart posture that Eli taught him to have is a great model for us this morning. Notice, notice when is Samuel showing his readiness to hear the word of God. It was while the lamp of God had not gone out yet. It means it was in the middle of the night. Now, if any of us would have been in Samuel's shoes, I wonder if we would have been frustrated because our night was ruined, our sleep was ruined, and we would tell the Lord, Lord, can't this wait until the morning? Why wake me up in the middle of the night? Not just once, but four times? I'm tired. I need my sleep. You know, I'm, I'm afraid that some of us uh, this morning might be having that kind of attitude towards a readiness to hear the word from the Lord. Lord, um, I'm really busy this week. Um, Lord, I, I got a lot going on on my mind. Lord, I didn't sleep well today. I'm struggling to stay awake right now. We like negotiating with God when it's, when it's comfortable to us and trying to hear the word of God when it's convenient to us. But that's not what Samuel said. He responded, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This posture of readiness to hear the word of God no matter the time of the day or the night, such a posture is what makes the young Samuel such a great model. Samuel shows that hearing God's revelation is more important even than sleep. Wow, keeping an attentiveness, a posture of attentiveness is not just limited to two church services per week. Consider the fact that we are to hear and we are to keep our hearts attentive to the word of the Lord. Friends, when a congregation takes this posture of listening to the word of the Lord, it creates humility. It creates dependence upon the Lord. It creates anticipation of looking forward to what the Lord will speak to us. I encourage you to consider, if you don't have this practice yet, consider reading ahead of time the passage that is planned to be preached every Sunday morning as we gather together. Take time during, during the week to, to hear, to listen, to, to read what we're going to be talking about the following Sunday. And consider reading the passage. And ask and pray, Lord, would you prepare my heart to hear from you as we are going to be gathered together uh, as, a, as the Lord's people uh, on Sunday. Also consider going earlier to bed on Saturday night. 
so that you can be alert on Sunday morning. Some of the college students are smiling. I'm so glad you're listening. In addition, you may find it helpful to just consider taking notes if it helps you to be more attentive. Friends, whatever it is, but ask the Lord to increase in you an attentiveness and a readiness to hear the word of the Lord. Here's the bottom line. Consider cultivating a posture of readiness to hear attentively the word of the Lord. It's a posture of submitting ourselves to God by being attentive to what He has revealed. One of the songs we like to sing often as we gather every Sunday is a song entitled, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Today, if there might be a famine of the word of God among us, it's not because of lack of access to the word of God. Is it perhaps because rather we might fall into a spiritual anorexia and we choose not to eat the word of the Lord, not to be fed with the word of the Lord. We would rather not have it for, because we feel like we are doing well or even better without it. Friends, it's a great privilege when we get to hear the word of God expounded. And Samuel's first response to the Lord in that setting shows us a readiness with which we can also come to the word of the Lord. A, a third point that we see in the unfolding of of the word of God becoming central to the people of God, that the Lord reveals his judgment. We see this in verses 11 through 18. Now that the God has gotten Elijah's attention, I'm sorry, now that God has gotten uh, Samuel's attention in the middle of the night, uh, God begins to unfold for him, gives him the content of a particular revelation that was specific for Eli's and, 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 and his family's situation. It's not the first time that God reveals judgment against Eli's house. God revealed judgment in chapter 2 through a man of God whose name we're not told. But now God is doing that revelation again. God reveals it a second time in order to confirm it. And this time also, God is confirming that judgment by passing that announcement of judgment into the hands of, of the little boy, Samuel. In verse 12, God confirms to Samuel that the judgment against Eli's house will be carried out in entirety from beginning to end. In other words, no part of the judgment will be left out. In verse 13, God repeats the guilt of Eli. Look at verse 13. God says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. In other words, God holds Eli responsible for the sins of his sons because Eli did not act in restraining, in confronting, in exposing, and trying to, to make his sons stop, especially because his sons were the priests of the Lord. They were doing all of this as priests of the Lord, and Eli did not stop them. In chapter 2, we have seen some specific examples of how the priests, the Eli's sons, acted against the Lord. Uh, they corrupted the worship of the Lord. Uh, they slept with women who were serving in the temple of the Lord. 
But here in chapter 3, the accusation is summarized through the language of they blasphemed against God. Other English translations render this verse differently. Uh, for instance, the NASB says, because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke him. Now, both translations are possible uh, because uh, it is possible that either the sons of Eli blasphemed the Lord or they really brought a curse upon themselves. The Hebrew text is ambiguous. What did the, the sons of Eli do? They treated God lightly. They dishonored the Lord and His commands. They acted rebelliously against the Lord. And in doing so, they brought a curse upon themselves. And it's also possible to see that as part of their dishonor of God, they cursed God. Yet Eli failed to confront them of their sin. And what's worse about it is that Eli had already heard in chapter 2 of God's plan to judge his sons. But still Eli had done nothing to rebuke his sons, even after the first revelation of judgment in chapter 2. When Eli realizes that the Lord had called Samuel, he becomes very curious to know everything that God has revealed. Now this is an aspect that we can, we can actually look at Eli and show as a good part of what Eli had done. Eli is open to know everything the Lord revealed and actually put Samuel, uh, put Samuel under a, a binding uh, to tell him everything. Verse 17, Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Wow, this is so good. <laughs> To have a desire to hear everything. Nothing to be left back home, if you will. But sadly, when Eli hears all that Samuel had to say, his response leaves him unchanged. He says in verse 18, So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, on first read, Eli's response seems like a humble response of submitting to the Lord's ways. But this response could also be taken and read in a different way, as a careless response. Eli comes to recognize that the Lord has spoken, and it leaves him unchanged. There's no sense that Eli passed on that judgment to his sons. Nor did he seek, even in this last hour, to, to seek the Lord and seek repentance and try to ask forgiveness from the Lord and try to change the course of actions in his sons. Friends, this should warn us against hearing the word of the Lord, even being willing and curious to know it all, but yet not do anything about it. To leave us unchanged in the course of our lives. Samuel ended up telling Eli everything the Lord revealed without holding anything. And here we see part of the responsibility of the difficulty of the prophet. The responsibility is not easy, <clears throat> especially when the content of the message was a hard content to deliver, to declare the doom of the very family in which Samuel was raised in the temple. 
As one Bible interpreter said, Samuel's call highlights the burden, the pressure, the conflict, and the pain of the Word of God. No sooner is Samuel called to the prophetic task than he finds how difficult and heart-rendering it can be. Friends, being a spokesman for God is not always easy, especially when the content of what you have to deliver is God's warning or judgment. And some who claim to be the spokesman for God in our day today refuse to deliver the whole counsel of God. We live in a day when, when this is sadly increasingly the case. A pastor found the following advertisements of seeker-friendly churches. Here's what seeker-friendly churches put out there as, as messages to try to, to bring people in. Here's two examples. There's many more we could go for. The sermons are relevant, upbeat, and best of all, short. You won't hear a lot of preaching about sin and damnation and hellfire. Preaching here doesn't sound like preaching. It's sophisticated, urban, and friendly talk. It breaks all the stereotypes. That's how one church advertises itself. Here's another example. The pastor is preaching a very upbeat message. It's a salvationist message. But the idea is not so much being saved from the fires of hell. Rather, it's being saved from meaninglessness and aimlessness in this life. You know, go around if, if you see slogans of churches and how they're trying to get people to come. It just shows you that the people who have been entrusted to declare the Word of God are failing to do so because we would rather choose not to give the whole counsel of God. Friends, as Christians, we are called to pass on the message of God to one another as individuals, as a church, and we have no right to change the message. Just as a mailman does his job faithfully if he delivers the mail as it is, whether the mail includes a check or a bill or a collection notice. It doesn't matter what the mail includes. The mailman is faithfully doing his job if he doesn't tamper with the mail. Friends, in a similar way, the people of God are doing their job faithfully when they communicate the Word of God faithfully in their, its entirety. And finally, we see here a four, fourth point in the unfolding of the story is that the Word of the Lord spreads. If Samuel, at the beginning of his prophetic call, gets to experience the hardness of having to deliver a hard message, and yet that's what involves, that's what it takes to be a spokesman for God, Finally, we see a fourth point, and that is the word of the Lord spreads. We see this in verses 19 to chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what we are told in verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. In this concluding paragraph, we see four short points. Four developments by which the word of God ends up getting to the entire people of God. 
The words spoken by Samuel, first of all, proved to be true. The words spoken by Samuel proved to be true. Verse 19, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, the words that Samuel spoke on the Lord's behalf came to be fulfilled. Nothing was wasted. Friends, this is true with every word that comes from the mouth of God. No, no word that comes from God will be wasted or unfulfilled. We also see that the people of Israel came to recognize that God established Samuel as a prophet. Uh, for God to establish Samuel as a prophet was a great sign for the people of God. It was a sign of, of the permanency of God's word coming regularly to his people through the ministry of Samuel. God's prophets were sent by God to be his messengers and deliver God's word. And here the entire nation comes to recognize that God is doing something new. God is establishing a prophet among his people who would speak God's word faithfully. But then next we read that the Lord began revealing himself again at Shiloh. Now remember, Shiloh is a place where corrupt worship was happening. And yet, the Lord chooses to begin revealing himself again. What makes this description hopeful is when we remember how chapter 3 started. Remember verse 1 in chapter 3? And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, at the end of the chapter, we see a big change. Now the Lord would begin revealing himself again. And this would become the regular pattern in Israel. As one Bible commentator said, it's a sign of God's grace when God's word has free course among God's people. And then the last stage in this development, the word of the Lord becomes central to the life of God's people. Because look at how chapter 4 verse 1 closes the story. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Notice here the connection between the word of the Lord and the word spoken by the prophet of the Lord. The word of Samuel comes to all Israel because his word was the word of the Lord. God would reveal himself in a unique and special way to Samuel. And Samuel did not keep that word to himself. He did not keep that word even only to Shiloh. God revealed to Samuel his word and Samuel began spreading it to all Israel. A change throughout the land of Israel will begin as we will see unfolding through the word of God being spread through the mouth of the prophet of God. Friends, it's always the case that spiritual renewal in a land comes when God's word is once again spread faithfully throughout the people of God. If we, if we need renewal in our lives, it starts with getting back to the basics. And that basics is the word of the Lord. Ralph Davis, one of the Old Testament commentators, said beautifully, if contemporary believers have a church where social activities, committee meetings, and nifty programs have not eclipsed the place of the Word of God, if the teaching of the Word of God stands at the heart of the church's life, if there is a pulpit ministry where the Scriptures are clearly, accurately, and helpfully preached, then they are rich in the grace of God. Well, friends, in the Old Testament times, God spoke to His people through the prophets. It's an act of God's grace that he chose in the midst of a corrupted worship like we have seen at Shiloh in chapter 2. 
that God would take the initiative to break the silence and reveal himself to his people. Yes, the breaking of God's silence, uh, the beginning of that revelation in the case of Shiloh also meant that God began exposing the sin and began executing with judgment. But it's a sign of God's grace when he begins to reveal himself even if that revelation starts with judgment. It's an act of God's grace. Friends, God has spoken to us not only through prophets of the Old Testament. God has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus. And after the coming of Christ, Christ sent apostles who are filled with the Holy Spirit through whom God completed the content of His revelation for His people. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. Friends, I wonder if God has given us the fullness of of His revelation, of all that we need for life and godliness, how do we treat God's revelation in our lives? How do we treat the Scriptures as being the message of God for His people? Our problem is not that we have no access to the Word of God, But our challenge today is whether we incline our ears and attentiveness to everything that God revealed to us in His Word. I remember remember the story, the experience I had with a number of members in this congregation before I was a member, uh, before I was called to be a pastor of this church. Uh, With the pastor search committee at the time, uh, we were going through a number of experiences of getting to know each other, the, the members of the committee, ask all kinds of questions to know about me. I asked all kinds of questions to know about the church. And the committee at that time was very open and transparent to share about a number of struggles that this church had gone through uh, for a long period of time. And, uh, and some of the struggles were, were painful to hear and sad to, to hear that the people of God were working and had gone through such experiences, even church splits and other uh, just downgrade uh, experiences of the church for a long time. But I remember one of the members in, in that team on the, on the pastor search committee, one of the members of the church, said this statement that just shocked me, surprised me. It made a mark on my heart to the point that I'm still hearing and I still remember his words. He said something to the nature of, Pastor, we have been malnourished with the word of God. And hearing that prior to that moment, there have been either visiting pastors or current pastors. I'm not sure which pastors, but some would just show up and preach without even any preparation and any just start preaching extemporaneously with, with shallow messages. And this brother res- responded, we have been malnourished with the word of God. We're looking, we're looking for somebody who would focus on preaching the word of God. Friends, the Word of God can be rare in our days if pastors who are called to be the people who proclaim the Word of God and equip the Word of God do a shallow job doing it or do it in a shallow way, thinking that just doing something superficial will will be enough, will be sufficient. It brought great joy to my heart to hear the confession of a need of hunger for the Word of God and a desire Bring the Word of God 
back to the congregation. Friends, it's a grace of God when the gatherings of God's people are filled with a centrality of the Word of God for our gathering. I praise the Lord for what the Lord has been doing in us. I praise the Lord for the way He brings life to His congregation, to any congregation where the Word of God becomes central, to any people where the Word of God becomes central. There's hope that God will restore. There's hope that God will revive. There's hope that God will bring back life, both on a personal level and on a corporate level. I love the way the book of Isaiah closes after speaking to his people, after beginning to expose the the brokenness of their sin in chapter 1, after exposing their idolatry. The book of Isaiah closes with these words, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Friends, may we be a people eager to hear the word of God. May we be a people who put the Word of God to be central in all that we do. And I praise God for seeing how the Lord has become central to the life of this congregation over the years. May we be a people who keep the Word of God central to our life together, whether we are gathered or scattered throughout the week. Maybe we will be a people who tell, like Samuel, the Lord, Speak, O Lord, for your servant hears. Amen. Would you pray with me?